0: So the other day I came across a post on Twitter from one of my friends, and he was making his own personal growth plans for the year, and one of his intentions was to choose a word. In fact, he had written on a three-by-five card, pick a word for the year, so I guess that's kind of what some people have been doing. I thought I would do that, and I decided to pick coffee for my word of the year, so Been the word of my year for the last ten years, so I just thought I'd go with that. Um, But I began reflecting, in all seriousness, what would my word be? What would our word be if we had a word for the year for Deep River Friends Meeting, for this faith community, our our congregation? And so I sat with that question for a few days. Now I'm not going to impose this on you. If you have another word, that's perfectly fine. But as I began to think through our life together, as I began to think through this morning the start of the new year, the word that kept coming to me over and over again was connect. To connect. Now, you think that seems like a very simple sort of uh, non-exciting word. Well, let me unpack that for a little bit because we may think that we're connected. But as one blog writer wrote that we live in a society where we are the most disconnected, connected society ever. Now when I hear the word connect, I hear about it in three different ways. First is, there's this first level, folks talk about connecting as if they're networking. You know, They want a new job, they want to reach out and make a sale, so we've got to connect with people. The second level that I always hear, or I, that, that I think about, is this, this uh, connection that people have when they haven't seen each other in a while. So they'll send an email or a text or, or they'll, they'll reach out to somebody and say, let's connect up, let's get a cup of coffee. But the third level that I think is maybe the most important for our purposes is this level where we are connecting deep with people. We are sharing life together with others. A couple realizes that they need to connect and share more of who they are with one another because they feel disconnected and they feel separate. A person in a congregation wants to connect with others because they feel alone or they feel like a stranger and they want to be in community with others. This connection that I'm referring to is is more about deep sharing. It's allowing ourselves to be vulnerable enough to share who we are and to receive from others what they have for others. It's about giving and receiving. It's about a sort of sharing of life. Uh, John Ortberg is uh, is an author, a writer who uh, has written about this whole area of intimacy and and, uh, connection. This is what he has to say. Not only do we revel in our experiences, but we also have a deep need to share them. When we share experiences with other people, the good times, the bad times, and all the mundane in-between times, we're sharing our lives with them. And that builds connection, which is another essential component of intimacy. I think we need this new, fresh vision of connecting and connection in our life. Um, Psychology Today had an article back in April, and I had heard about this, so I went online to kind of verify to see if it was true. And um, and it is, that, that this whole idea of connecting and connection is in such dire need that the United Kingdom came up with a way to address it. So listen to this. This is what the author wrote of the article. We're living in a time of greater digital connectivity. Most people have hundreds, if not sometimes thousands of friends, connections, or contacts on social media sites. Yet reports of loneliness have steadily risen. The United Kingdom sees the plague of loneliness as a crisis, recently appointing a minister of loneliness. They realized that people were so lonely they created a position called Minister of Loneliness. In a 2017 report by this Commission on Loneliness, over 9 million British adults reported that they are, quote, often or always lonely. In a world with a growing population and digital relationships we seem to be growing more disconnected. I think they're right. I don't know if I would go to creating a position, but obviously they see the need so great. Couples can live With each other for 30, 40 years, but live as total strangers because they never connect. We can sit with each other in the pew for 10, 15, 20 years, but never really get to know each other because we never connect. We may have a thousand Facebook friends and think we are connected, but maybe we just have a thousand Facebook friends but we really don't know what deep connection and deep sharing and that kind of life is all about. I do think that one of the hidden crises of our day today is this crisis of loneliness, of people feeling isolated, of people feeling that they don't belong, of people feeling like as if that They're doing life all on their own and they have no one they can go to. They have no one that they can rely on. They have no one that they can bear their soul to and share that journey with them. In in reality, the first book of the Bible tells the story of how life was meant to be. At least the first two chapters, well the whole book, but the first two chapters. It's a life of connecting with God, a life of flourishing in that connecting and sharing life with God with one another and with all of creation. It's this sense of mutuality, it's vulnerability, it's a giving and receiving that looks out for for one another. Adam and Eve together in creation Uh, as the Bible says naked and unashamed. Now that wasn't anything in terms of physical nakedness. What the Bible was saying was they were totally totally vulnerable with each other, and they were not ashamed of it. They were totally open and honest with each other. That's how life was intended to be. To be in that kind of sense of connection with one another. To live in community with one another. To connect because it's not good to do life alone. And then Genesis 3 shows us how life is now and why connecting is such a challenge. Genesis 3 shows us is the human condition is that we tend to hide from one another, we tend to cover ourselves up, we hide our vulnerability and rather than share life with others we end up blaming and accusing and distancing from one another. And so this key to our flourishing both individually and collectively is this willingness to share life and live deeply connected lives with each other. Now if there's a word that can sum up our scripture this morning it's this word that I mentioned to connect or be connected. And so I took that word and I paraphrased the passage that Dan read. So let me reread it using that word in uh, some key places. Connect to me as I connect to you, just as, the branch cannot, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it is connected to the vine, neither can you unless you're connected to me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And those who connect to me and I connect to them bear much fruit because disconnected from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not connect to me is thrown away like a branch and withers and such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you connect to me and my teachings are absorbed by you, that's Jesus speaking, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and you become my disciples. I don't know if Jesus would change his metaphors today if he were walking around with us and he were giving us parables, but he lived in this agrarian culture, and so he uses these agrarian metaphors to help us understand basically this that God intends for our lives to flourish and bear fruit, and God intends for us to be connected to this continual source of life. In fact, this natural outcome of a life connected to God is a life that is fruitful, is a life that flourishes. That God is our divine source of life. And this life is both manifested in the teachings of Jesus and we stay connected to Jesus and we experience the life that is life and what keeps us life flowing depends on our willingness to stay connected. And what helps us stay connected is having the necessary supporting structures that keep us connected to this living source. So the bottom line it, Simply this, we were intended to live with a sense of life in life. We were intended to feel alive. We were intended to not to live as if we have already died. We were intended to live with a sense of aliveness with each other and to bear fruit. Vineyards and grapevines, they often have a supporting structure that enables them to grow, to flourish, and be fruitful. It could be a fence, it could be a trellis, it could be maybe a stick, but something that supports the growth and fruitfulness of that grapevine. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, I think our souls, they need supporting structures that support our desire to grow and flourish, our desire to live as if we're alive. It could be spiritual practices such as scripture reading, um, Uh, silence and solitude, it could be gathering in worship on a regular basis, it could be small groups, it could be friendships, it could be taking walks in nature, it could be reading books that feed your soul, it could be journaling, it could be retreats. I have no idea what it is. But I suspect that there are spiritual practices, there are things that we can engage in that will help us feel alive, that will breathe life into us. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for that will breathe life into us and create a sense of joy. And it may not be the same thing in one season of our life, it may be something completely different. We may have to let go of one practice and start a new one just to again know what it feels like to be alive again. This is where you and I, as the Apostle Paul writes, work out your own salvation by choosing the necessary supporting structures that will facilitate our own spiritual growth and flourishing. Now let me tell you what I experienced this past week that may say that it could come from any kind of source. Um, I got a book for Christmas called The Reds, Cincinnati Reds' 50 Greatest Moments. As my son Chad said, boy, I bet they really had to work real hard to come up with 50, didn't they? I said, yeah. I think they did. I think, I think most of them were pre-1975. Uh, but anyway, as I was reading this book, so here's the thing I found out. It breathed life into me. Now you're thinking, how did that happen? Because as I read this book, as I've been reading it slowly, almost all the moments, the great moments, happened in my childhood. And as I read those moments, I'm like, I remember listening to that on the radio. I remember being there when that happened. It was something about reading that book that took me back to a place in which I felt pure joy, in which I felt pure aliveness. Now, my point is, I don't know what it will be for you, but to feel pure joy is that sense of being alive, to have something breathe life into you, And to help you look back and be grateful and express gratitude and to be in that moment and to to enjoy the moment for what it is now, that's what God wants for us. That's what it means to be connected. It's when you had that good conversation with somebody and you feel like you have shared who you really are, you have shared what's on your heart, you have shared your soul and they have received it and they have given it back. That's what it feels like. And all of that, I believe, is what God intends for our life. All of that is, I believe, what God intends for our journey. A few years ago I had an epiphany. Mentioned today is Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany is that moment where you have aha, or it's kind of like a spiritual awakening or uh, something comes to your realization. And I had this epiphany, and here's what happened. I think I've shared this before, but I want to share it again because it speaks to this whole sense of connecting and aliveness. I was driving down the road and I was actually not too far from home. It was just around the corner from our neighborhood. I had the radio off and I can't remember. It was just a normal day. And again, I don't know how God speaks to you. Often when God speaks to me, it feels like a deep impression. It feels like a, a, a nudge. It feels like a hunch. It's kind of a gut thing for me other people experience it differently. That's how I experienced it. But in this moment it was like I heard audible words. I can't explain it but I heard audible words. And I remember hearing these words in my heart, maybe in my head, simply this go where the life is. And I chuckled to myself in that moment because all of a sudden in my mind and heart I kept thinking Well, there's a lot of things I'm going to have to let go of if I am being asked to go where the life is. But also in that moment, I remember feeling freed up to be able to make choices for myself to say, why am I still engaged in things that don't bring life or breathe life into me? If I were to look at my life and let go of the things that don't breathe life and move toward the things that do breathe life, what would that look like? How does that change my time? How does that change my priorities? How does that change my schedule? How does that change my relationships? How does that change my spiritual journey? And that's been a game changer for me. Because almost every day I hear those words and I ask myself this question. Is this breathing life into me? Is it not breathing life into me? Because if it's not breathing life into me, I'm not giving life also. But if it is, there's something about that that's flowing through me into what's going on around me. And for me, that's what it means to feel that deep connection, to be connected to this, this vine that breathes energy and nourishment and sustenance into my life, that I am going where that life is. Richard War is a writer, writer, um, a Jesuit priest, and here's what he has to say. Listen carefully to his words. For most people in the world, the question is not, is there life on the other side of death? It it is, but he's trying to make a point. Let me start over again then. For most people in the world, the question is not, is there life on the other side of death? It is this, rather, is there life on this side of death? Are you and I living life on this side of death? Or are we just counting the days, checking off the boxes, crossing out dates on a calendar? Are you really connecting with life? Are you really connecting with God? Are you really connecting with others in your life? Are we really connecting with one another? Or do the days just go by, the moments just go by, and we can't even remember what happened? And we're just waiting till the weekend. And then when the weekend's over, we can't believe it's over. We can't believe Monday's here already. And now we're we're on Monday, what we can't wait till what? Friday now. Because we just have not found a way to deeply connect. Final story. I didn't know if I was going to share this, but I just found this one so fascinating. It may take about five minutes or so. It's actually based on an incident that happened in a... uh, a nursing home, Chase Memorial Nursing Home, in the town of New Berlin in upstate New York. This was a place that was in pretty much big despair. It had about 80 severely disabled elderly residents, one of them, many of them who had dementia. They were disconnected from their families, disconnected from their staff, from each other. And um, there was a, a, a doctor who came there, his name was Bill Thomas, uh, he was a doctor that had a lot of drive and he was, he was bound to determined to make a difference. And he decided as he went into this nursing home that what the residents needed wasn't more protection. In his words, what they needed were more connection to life. And so the conversation went like this. He goes to the nursing home director and the staff leadership and he says, let's bring green plants into the rooms. Okay, they said, we'll bring green plants. Well then he says, well how about a dog? Let's bring a dog. Well there are safety code issues, but maybe so, yeah, we'll bring a dog. Well then he said, let's try two dogs. Well they said it's against code. Well he says, well let's just put it down on paper, not put paper down for the dog, but let's just put it down on paper. Let's just write it down. So it goes on that Dr. Bill was so so uh, aware that he wasn't seeing much enthusiasm, so he, he but he figures he's on a roll so he says, well how about we get some cats? Administrator says, you want dogs and cats? Well, some people aren't dog lovers, he said, so how about we get two cats on both floors? So the administrator says, we're going to propose to the health department to allow two dogs and four cats. Bill said, perfect, let's do it. And he says, now we need sounds around this place. We need life. We need need something that tells us that there's life. And so Dr. Bill thinks for a moment, and he says, I tell you what, let's get some birds. The administrator says, all right, well, how many birds do you think we're going to need? Why not a hundred? Let's get a hundred birds for this place. So by the time the meeting is over, they've put on this paper, they're going to get a hundred birds, they're going to get, how many did I say? They're going to get four cats and two dogs. Now the kicker was that when they delivered the hundred parakeets, they delivered them and the cages hadn't been purchased yet. And so the delivery guy takes the hundred parakeets and the only thing he can do is let them loose into the hair salon of the nursing home. And so he lets them loose into the hair salon, they shut the door, and here's what he writes. It was total pandemonium. Feathers were flying everywhere and many of the elderly residents gathered to watch through the salon's window. Quote, they laughed their butts off and Dr. Bill said it was kind of glorious chaos. But here's what happened. The effect on the residents became impossible to ignore. Residents began to wake up and come to life. People who had never spoken began to speak. People who were completely withdrawn and non-ambulatory started coming to the nurse's station and saying, I'd like to take the dog for a walk. And the mortality rate dropped by 15%. And the total drug costs plummeted to less than half of what they were at a comparative facility. All the researchers came in trying to figure out what happened here. How did this happen? What's the secret? What's going on here? Well I'll just close with this paragraph. Dr. Bill writes, the fellow who wrote the book on this, he said they came in, they saw the impact the new policies were making but they couldn't explain it. And Dr. Bill thought he could. Quote, people need a reason to live. People need a sense of belonging. We have an innate desire to be part of something larger than ourselves. When we are connected to life and to each other, we thrive. When we are disconnected, we die. And by the way, do you know what he called this whole experiment? Ironically, the Eden alternative. He says, this is what happens in the Garden of Eden. And this is what is intended for you and I. Now, I share that story partly because I think it's a great story. (laughs) But I think it underscores this point that hopefully I've, I've been able to make. We are designed to connect to life and to each other. And when we do, as he says, we thrive. When we are disconnected, we die. That's my word for the year. I hope for us to connect. First of all, to connect with God this divine source of life for you and I. For you and I to discern what kind of practices or what we need to do to be able to connect with God in a way that is life-giving. Take a walk. Reinvest our life back in study or maybe scripture reading or worship or small group or friendship or find something that takes you back to some joyous moments in your life. I don't know what it is, but find a way to connect with, with God The the divine source who is beyond us but intends to breathe life into us. By the way, that's what the Garden of Eden says. God did what? He breathed life into humanity. Find ways to connect with that. Find ways to connect with people, folks that you can share with, that you can share your soul and bear your soul and not feel as if you're the only one doing life. Listen to the phrase in your head, go where the life is and ask yourself this question. What in my life is no longer bringing me life? What do I need to let go of? And what do I need to embrace that will be life-giving for me that will in turn be life-giving for those around me?